Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 97th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site. And ladies and gentlemen, I have one question for you. Do you really, do you really want to taste it? Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the Peacemaker. They're talking about the whole season one, and I apologize for that. But you know what? For a guy who hasn't sung in a while and isn't drunk, it wasn't too bad. Not bad um, at all. So I am joined as my wife and daughter downstairs are like, uh, dad has officially gone insane. Um, welcome to Pop Breaks uh, and Socially Distance review of season one of The Peacemaker. Of course, the series starring John Cena created uh, mostly directed by and all written by James Gunn, the spinoff from the Suicide Squad movie. I am joined by, I guess I would say he's my version of Vigilante. Um, he is my reluctant best friend and managing editor, Mr. Al Manorino. What's going on, bud? I constantly pump you up and I have stupid ideas. So I'm pretty much the vigilante of the podcast. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there you go. Uh, joining us. I would um, also have taken the Eagly of the podcast because he is the best character in the show, mm-hmm. arguably. I'm I'm well, I'm going to disagree with that because we have our own Eagly. Um, he, uh, you know, he he was around in the beginning, then we didn't see him for a bit. Then he was around a whole bunch recently, just like our boy Eagly. Of course, he's our favorite commander, Mr. Ben Merkerson. Welcome back, pal. Thank you. What's up? Yeah, Bill. I'll uh, I'll snag some rodents and throw them at you just to show you some affection. <laughs> Whatever I need to do, man. I'm there for you, buddy. <laughs> I'll take you up on that one day. And I don't know if this is an insult, but I want to preface this by saying this is like one of my favorite characters from the show. Uh, Returning to us uh, since uh, last seen in our Hawkeye review series, the Pizza Dog Chronicles, he is our own John Economos. And I say that because he's one of my favorite characters and he's a great guy. Might like Hanoi Rocks. Tyler McCarthy, welcome back. What's up? I'll take Economos. That's fine. Just wanted to make sure. I'm like, I don't want him to think this is an insult. But the beard, but the beard color, all natural. All natural. Oh, yeah. All natural. Yeah. Flex yeah. of gray Let's, that I'm proud we of. Will, we will it. talk about that dye beard and all the, the emotion and ennui attached to that. Um, so, guys, yes, we're talking on Peacemaker. Ran eight episodes uh, exclusively on HBO Max. So, uh we did podcast about the Suicide Squad, of course, Al and I, uh, Alex Marcus and Alicia Weinberger. It was our Suicide Squad cast, uh, which basically turned into this whole episode where we were like, hey, we love TDK, the detachable kid. Um, yes. Literally was <laughs> we all I just remember like, that. I think everyone but Alex was fairly out of their minds and we yeah, yeah, just yeah. could not stop talking about TDK, sure. of course, played by Nathan Fillion. So. Um, Al, I'll start with you first. Um, your thoughts. Oh, just refresh us on your thoughts of the Suicide Squad, James Gunn's version, and your expectations for uh, Peacemaker before you headed into the show. I think I, I remember really digging Suicide Squad. I, I thought I think I see I saw it in theaters, and it was very just like kind of unexpectedly good, right? And it's weird that we thought that, or some people thought that going in, like knowing. Gun's now proven track record with uh, taking people we do not care about and making us care so much about them. I wish he would um, do that with me, but you know, it's yeah, right. Um, it, I think I just didn't. 
I don't know if it it didn't have a replay value, but I remember on the second viewing, I was less interested in the story and more interested in just like how kind of beautiful it was in some instances, like just shot kind of beautifully. Like I, I remember specifically that the the Harley Quinn fight scene at the end when she's using the javelin, um, the javelin. And, uh, you know, I thought that was just so unique and so fun. And like, you know, part of the reasons why Gunn is such a great filmmaker. I just remember not caring more about the story, but just the characters the second time around. And I think that was the biggest thing from Suicide Squad is like him making you care about Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man. You love And, you know, a wannabe Deadshot with Bloodsport. Like he made you care about these like, I mean, we're talking Z-list characters in some instances. And then, you know, you get Harley Quinn. Uh, but, you know, Peacemaker was one of the shining moments of that that whole movie. And John Cena's performance. Um, oh. Just oh, yeah. Into, yeah. I'm just saying, like, from the movie itself. And, you know, when they announced, um, I think it was even before the movie was released that they were doing a, a Peacemaker show. I was like, oh, man, they must, he must be a, you know, a great part of this movie. And I, you know, and he was. So it made a lot of sense. Uh, Tyler, uh, for you, thoughts on the Suicide Squad movie um, and, you know, where was your level of expectations for this show? Um, so Suicide Squad, very similar to what Al said. It was I, ex- I had high expectations going in and it and it met them at the, in the end because James Gunn is good at taking these like misfit characters that you really need to love the source material in order to properly put on screen and make other people love. And I'm not a big DC guy. I I knew absolutely zero of these characters. I think in the first one, I knew Boomerang Man, thanks to covering like the Arrowverse for so many years and obviously Harley Quinn, but that was it. Um, And so coming into the second one, getting all of these characters that are just, you know, way on the fringes of DC Comics was a lot of fun. And, you know, it has that sort of twist in the beginning where your main characters don't end up being the main characters you thought you were going to have. And what you do get is this smaller, more misfit, more self-contained team that, you know, it became clear 10, 15 minutes into the movie, we're right in James Gunn's wheelhouse and he's delivering exactly what we know him to be good at. And it was just a fun romp all the way through. Um, I was reluctant going into Peacemaker, though, because obviously really into John Cena. He's more charismatic and like comedically good than he has any right to be. Um, but he, he's just so captivating on screen. That said, I I took the time and the effort, and I'm calling it effort, to watch the first Suicide Squad movie. So I had a bit of an attachment to Rick Flagg. And when you're just like, hey, the, the biggest heel of your movie is going to be your new protagonist. What do you think of that? I didn't think a lot of it, but, um, you know, almost without getting into it too early, almost from the get go, like John Cena and Peacemaker win you over. They vault that hurdle. They vault that like right out of the gate and they're ready to explain it. And it's it's just top to bottom, like worked for me. Uh, Commander. Yeah, uh, same thing. I'm with Tyler on that one. I I enjoyed Suicide Squad, um, but I I've never really been an early adopter to anything related to like superheroes. I'll watch them eventually, but I'm not the guy that's like lining up to get tickets or seeing it the first day it drops. And I think similarly, you're, you're looking at a character, you know, from the movie that, you know, took out probably one of the fan favorites and you know, was kind of the villain, you know, towards the end. And you knew that he was going to get the spinoff because of the after credit scene thing, but I wasn't necessarily like jumping at the chance to watch him again. Um, 
the only thing that I think gave me hope is because I've seen him do really good things comedically. I was actually had just recently watched uh, this movie. It was in called Vacation Friends. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure if you saw little, that, but he, I'm, you know, movies good, but uh, you know, he's hilarious in it. And I really liked, uh, you know, that style of humor coming from him, you know, kind of uh, an offset to of what he did with Suicide Squad. So I was looking forward for that piece of it. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of expectations coming into this show and, and not really sure what James Gunn was going to do with it. Uh, for me, the first Suicide Squad movie, hot garbage. The second one, was a hot mess in the best way possible. It was, it was, uh, it took me like you guys way by surprise, but then again, it was also James Gunn. So it was like, if anyone could do it, this guy could do it. John Cena really stole the show in that movie. But my biggest concern was how do you take this one supporting character and then you make him a, the star of this new series? Like, how is that going to go? Also, we've never really seen John Cena ever carry a show obviously he carried wwe but he wasn't making blatant dick jokes and being covered in blood and you know rocking out to you know cinderella and saigon you know saigon kick you know what i mean so like listen someone's gonna make these references might be the old guy so it's like that was my concern like can he carry a show and but i was excited because it's also like James Gunn gets to play in a series and then we're getting Harcourt and Economos back. And they were this really great, these really great side characters. So I'm like, all right, I'm here for it. But I think the thing everyone was here for was uh, what I alluded to earlier when I screamed into the microphone, apologies to our engineer, Lucas, for me blowing out the levels. Um, the thing everyone talks about from this show, which became the cultural moment we all sort of needed in 2022, the opening dance sequence, because only goddamn James Gunn would open a violent, sophomorically humored, emotionally traumatic sh a show about emotional trauma and trying to live up to your parents with a dance sequence. Uh, to me, I, it could it, I don't think you get any more perfect than that. And I think that the brilliance of that is it set the tone of this because it was never a wink, you know, to the camera. It was always like, no, we're doing this and we're very serious about this and we're really committed to the spirit of dance. And that's what I loved about it. And it really, I never skipped. I don't know about you guys. I never skipped it. Not once. Uh, Tyler, your thoughts on this, because I feel like this really, this really hit home for you. Like you, you felt oh. like wrapped in a warm blanket in this one. Love, not only did I never skip it, like I've watched it on YouTube so many times that like, I, I'm pretty sure YouTube's about to be like, are you sure, dude? <laughs> um, it's, it's great. And to go back to your intro, the only way to do poorly at hair metal is to not commit and you committed. So thumbs up to you. Thank you. I, um, I often I often do commit to hair metal as as opposed <laughs> to things with this site. Yes. That, yeah, that intro. It's I mean, it's just so clever. I hadn't seen anything like it. I also like the energy of um, like the bold energy behind showing all the characters. Like we get introduced to Judo Master technically in the opening credits. We get introduced to literally everyone who's going to be on the show with the like who has a speaking role in the opening credits and you're just going to have to deal with that. You're just gonna have to be excited for when they show up and figure out who they are. Then like vigilante just like dances onto screen alongside, uh, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, I practiced that before the podcast still failed it. 
Uh, my um, my favorite one though is the favorite introduction is is is, is Mern because he's so like very sharp in all his movements. And then you're like, that makes more sense when who he is, is really revealed. I'm like, Oh, that's why he's so awkward in that. Um, Al, your thoughts on that, um, on that opening. I mean, we're, I think we're all going to just universally say, and I say all, not just the four people on this podcast, but everyone in the world will say that it's, probably one of the best things that happened to 2022 it's so fun it the the song is super catchy i you know instantly i'm like is this a steel panther song i'm like i know the first two seconds i'm like this sounds like a steel Panther. but then i'm like oh wait this sounds not naughty enough to be a steel panther song so eventually figured it out figured it out but do we, we do get one later i I love it. I mean, it's so like, as, as Tyler said, it's so inventive and fun and something I've never seen before. And yeah, like the personalities of the characters are in their dancing. Like you can see it in everyone. Vigilante's trying way too hard. And um, Harcourt is doing this incredibly choreographed dance, but she's so serious the whole time. Um, she nails the dead face better than anyone. She, it's so crazy. Good. I was listening to a, a Pod, an interview with with gun and he was saying that they were asking him like how'd you come up with it like he said that was the it was going to be the idea the whole time he said he always wanted to do like a full musical number he's only done like an animated one in super so he's always wanted to do like a full musical number and he's like oh i had the the perfect chance to do it and then he was asked like are you going to do it again in the second season? And the best answer was, well, like half the people are dead. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know yet, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was awesome. I, I heard another interview with him where he actually said the designer of the whole dance was, uh, I, I wish I knew her name, but it was Alan Tudyk's wife. Alan Tudyk's wife? Tudyk's wife. Yes. Tudyk? She in the show? <laughs> I don't believe so. I think he he said he didn't know it was her, and that he just they they reached for someone who could accomplish this. And that's so funny. Yeah. I, I thought he it was, did it. It was just a random coincidence. Ben, I thought he did it because we know he's the um, he's the actual dancing baby Groot in Guardians Two. Okay. They use the the video of him to make the dancing Groot, which well, you can so, find on YouTube. And it's really awesome. Uh, ben, I know you're a big like EDM guy. You're all about <laughs> them bangers and bops, but. Um, Oh, is, this song is, is this song is, is living is in my head. It's the only thing that I'm singing throughout the day, every day. And like, I, I did go through and I looked it up like on YouTube so I could like watch what the actual video was. Like all the comments, like thousands of them were just about like its usage in the show now, like how great it is. But yeah, the choreography is like so simple. Like I could do it if I sat there and like watched it, you know, over and over and over again to catch each person's turn. It's nothing like too crazy. Maybe some of the stuff I can't do, like flipping in and whatnot, but the basic movements, the, the stoic faces, and then just really owning it uh, without, you know, like you guys said, without the wink to the camera, like it was, it's perfect. It's perfection. And like, like Bill said, I never skipped it a single time. It was a highlight every single time. And every, every time we come up, it'd be at a different type of moment in the show. So maybe something emotional just happened and then you drop that and you're like, all right, cool. Or something funny just happened and it, it works, you know, regardless. Did they, did, did that, uh, just refresh my memory, guys, does the song end up in the show at any point? Yeah. yeah. In the final episode when they're like walking out to do their final battle with them. Okay. All right. That's the only happened. time they save it for the end. Yeah. It's just like perfect. a classic. I feel like they do that. Like that's definitely a recurring thing, right? 
like I've heard, I've seen that before where like the theme song that they have, they'll wait till the end to use it. I've seen that before. I don't have a great example for you, but it will come to me. It works so well. You're just like, what are we going to do? Let's go kill a cop. And then they like play that song real quick and they start walking out there slow motion. It's beautiful. Um, One thing, uh, James Gunn tweeted this and I I will reference a Forbes article. Of course, they didn't link to the tweet. Thanks, guys. Um, Is that the 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 show which the finale which aired on HBO Max uh, set a single day viewership record for the streaming platform and it represented uh, a ratings increase of forty four percent over a live forty four percent over the premiere. Um, what do you th- what is it about this show? Like, is this is this feel like the first show in, in a minute that has just caught on? Like that people it wasn't like out the gates that it just kind of became this cultural phenomenon where people had to get to it. Uh, supposedly it was the most engaged. The finale was the most engaged um, show on Twitter for HBO max more than euphoria. Like that one episode of euphoria, like that aired that week, which, cause that's all the rage on Twitter. Uh, I haven't watched the second season. That first season it is, it is a watch for sure. And Zendaya deserves all the awards. Uh, but what is it about this show? Do you, I mean, maybe I, I should have put this later, but what do you, is it about this show that you think led to this like boom in popularity where almost a 50% increase in like single day watching and setting a record for views on a very popular platform, which last year had like the matrix and mortal Kombat and Kong versus Godzilla Sopranos movie, you name it, all the big Warner movies were there. Uh, Tyler, what do you think is that led to this for peacemaker to to hit this record? Um, it's very interesting that it was the finale that did reach this record. I was one of those people who I put it on ice. I let it go by me. And then seven episodes came out and it just, there was this quality to it that felt unignorable. I I just had to watch it and be ready for the finale. I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, just by the nature of our time and what's popular, anything that has to do with superheroes has a lot of wind at its back. Uh, Suicide Squad, James Gunn's version, Suicide Squad 2, whatever you want to call it. That came out at a time where we were all pretty hungry for something and um, pretty hungry to go back to the theater. Uh, pretty excited that if you weren't you know, of that mindset, like I wasn't, you could still watch it at home and you're getting a Guardians-esque experience uh, thanks to the talent of James Gunn. Uh, and then you've got just you know great character or great actors like uh, John Cena, doing this amazing performance that you can't really get anywhere else. Steve Agee, like uh, in the finale, like reaching into his back pocket and pulling out a dramatic performance that he similarly has absolutely no business doing. Um, You know, Harcourt, Adebayo, all of them are just really great, charismatic people. And they've got someone writing to their talents really well. Um, So I think just James Gunn has a way of producing this, this, this magic that really people like us people that are interested in digesting this stuff you can't ignore it absolutely can't ignore it for me i look at it like um james gunn has this uh way to make absurdity mainstream like there's no reason we should be opening up a superhero movie with a guy just putting on his headphones listening to his like something from the an anthem from the 70s and kicking space rats yeah yet it drew everyone in uh, and that's the thing here. I think it's like this oddball hype. It was because of the, it's this hyper violent, hyper, some people you could say sophomoric at times show that also was super grounded in like real emotional shit. 
I don't think people were coming for, oh, there's this like crazy storyline of like, you know, like butter, like these butterfly like aliens in people's brains. I don't think people were coming for the story. I think people were coming for the characters and the absurdity of all of it and how it played so well. Like a, a really, it was really dramatic, but also completely batshit crazy. Uh, Al, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, both of you kind of nailed it, right? Like, no one was really coming for the plot. They were really coming for, you know, gun, you know, is probably the biggest draw of like interest. But I think what makes you stay, what makes you return is the performances throughout from everyone. It's, you know, a great ensemble, just incredible. Um, And, you know, this Freddie Stroma guy who plays Adrian Chase slash Vigilante, where did they find this magnificent creature? He is. He was Dick and Tarly. Well, actually, no, my, he's not my Dick fiance, and Tarly. That's the wrong dude. You're thinking of the wrong guy. No, he's 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 one of the Tarleys. He's Dick. And How Tarly? many fucking Tarleys were there? He was like one episode. He was the brother who gets. He's the brother who gets r- roasted because. No, that's 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 the dude from Umbrella Academy. Yeah, it's so another Tarly. You're right, yeah. but you're wrong. Different times. He was apparently in Harry Potter, which is not my thing, but I did IMDb him and he was in like a bunch of those movies. So my, my fiance was blown away because he was apparently if anyone, I'm, hopefully like a couple people uh, are hip to this who are listening, but he was on a show called Unreal, which yeah. is sort of like a, and apparently he was like the bachelor type character on, on the reality show that the show's based around. And she was like, you know, she watched that show religiously and just, it wasn't until after the finale that she had to look him up on IMDb and was like, Oh, holy yeah, shit. Like, it's the same guy. So for people wondering, Freddie Stroma, vigilante was Dick and Tarly in season six, Tom Hopper, not the director was Dick and Tarly in season seven. So everyone sort of heat dot Tom Hopper got roasted, not Freddie Stroma, but he was Dick and Tarly. I almost prefer oh. being half right than fully right. Yeah, I stand so. corrected for saying you were wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, no, it's fine. He's right. wrong. Uh, like half right, half wrong. But anyway, um, performances like the performances really kept you. And I, you know, obviously, um, Gunn is really like great with like the the father son, you know, not dynamic like because that would be good. But like the the father son stories, like you know, we saw it in um, Guardians for you know one and two. You could say in terms of like the father figure, or whatever. Um, that story really hooks you in. You don't care. Like that's, that feels like more like the a plot than um, everything happening with the butterflies. And it's really the, the building of this team and and all of these actors firing in all cylinders, which really gets you to come back. I mean, if you tell, if you wrote this on paper, no one would watch the show. It's just nonsense. But when it's all comes together, it's like magic. It's, it's nice. Um, there's definitely some flaws with it. And you kind of brought it up in terms of, uh, the we'll get to that yeah. the you know the humor at points but it, i think everything balances out and it makes it for a, a very enjoyable watch ben what do you think made this the uh quote-unquote water cooler show for the first quarter of 2022 well in terms of like the viewership piece of it i think it had a lot to do with like the release structure because if i remember correctly I, I feel like they dropped three episodes to begin with you know it kind of gets you hooked and yep. then they'll go through and release one a week. So by the time it gets to the finale, everybody's had so much time to do the word of mouth thing. And because the quality of the show is what it is, um, you know, it's 
like everybody's been saying, it's, it's James Gunn is his best. It's, it's blending all the things that he does really well. Um, you know, it's got kind of a similar story plot line to like Slither, uh, you know, kind of a dark horror comedy thing, alien host taking over people. It's got that blended in with the superhero element that he had done, um, you know, before it was super, which kind of had like a really uh, not as good a version of vigilante type thing, but a vigilante type character that was ill-equipped to do what he was doing. And then, you know, couple that with the kind of reluctant team of people teaming up, um, whether it's superheroes or anti-heroes, blend all that stuff together. The dialogue is you know, impeccably great. And most every single episode, there's something insanely quotable that you can come back to. Um, I was you know, was telling to somebody that I, I would watch these characters just in a room hanging out and be totally fine with that. Apart from any of the storyline going, like if you want to put them on big brother or something and let them, you know, play that out. That would be, that would be insanely interesting. And I would be totally down for it. My favorite quote is when he's talking about eighties metal, he's like met when men were man enough to dress. Not afraid to be women. Not, not afraid to be women. Not afraid to be women. I was like deadly accurate. So um, many quotes you can do. Uh, one of the things Al did mention is, uh, uh, it, and I just want to get this out of the way. We're talking a lot of positive, but one thing a lot of people talk about was the humor. The humor didn't stick. Um, that it was too, it went too far. It was too repetitive. It was too gross out. It was too much. Is this a fair criticism? Ben, I'm going to go right back to you. Was this, was the humor, did it stick, always stick for you? Was it, was it too much at times? It worked for me. I feel like there was, I mean, certainly not every joke is going to hit for every person all the time, but. I mean, I'm, I'm of the generation where Dumb and Dumber is my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, it's a classic. You, know I mean? you got stuff like that. You got stuff like Step Brothers or whatnot. It's the same type of humor. Uh, so there's going to be some gross humor. Like fart jokes have never been like great for me. But, you know, so maybe that one doesn't hit in that particular scene. But I love, you know, the comedy, whether it be sophomore or not, uh, you know, the tangents that they'll go off on talking about something completely unrelated to what's going on in the plot. You know, like stop we need to discuss what it was that you just said that works for me so more often than not the jokes for me at least hit so it wasn't the comedy was never a, a negative for me if if something didn't work they moved on fast enough and made me laugh with something else tyler um i you know i think maybe it says a lot about my sense of humor but it worked for me the whole time even even things that were kind of juvenile for example the um the, the farting in the last episode where I was trying to apologize and just making a fart noise. Like I have, I seen that before. Absolutely. But have I seen John Cena specifically like doing that for over a minute and then going, I'm sorry, what were you going to say is so funny. It like, it works. They find a way to take these things, make them their own, make them work a little bit. And uh, like, I'm overall, I'm here for it. I'm, 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 I'm into it. Ow. I'm not saying it didn't work for me, but, uh, but I will say this and another in, in this, another gun interview or a, f- a bunch of them, if you could, anytime people ask him like, what was the inspiration or what, you know, why, why this story? Why now he mentioned that like he has friends that have like super diverse opinions from him in like, I guess today's climate, but they're still able to be friends. Right. And like, you can see that, um, you can see that Chris was obviously raised by kind of the worst dude ever. So he's, he has these, you know, he has these ideas and tendencies that are very like, you know, leaning one side and, you know, kind of a conspiracy nut and all that kind of stuff. So anytime that they played on that or try to put humor interjecting like wokeness or any of that kind of stuff. It just felt like very 
ham-fisted. Like, it didn't feel, like, natural. And I don't think... It, it's not Gunn's fault. I don't think you can actually do it properly in any sort of comedy right now and make it work. You have to either go completely one side satirical or the other it's hard to just try to blend both in and i think that's where it kind of fails when they for me at least i I think the juvenile stuff it's like as ben said like him and vigilante or you know peacemaker and vigilante are dumb and dumber right it's just like two bros who are into the same shit and they're stupid and that that's that works for me because i get it what i don't get is them trying to comment on wokeness but at the same time like they almost are like trying to have their uh, was it have their cake and eat it too or whatever like trying to make fun of everyone make fun of the left make fun of the right make fun of the people in the middle it doesn't work because it now it just sounds like you're kind of preaching to us even if you're one side or the other or you're in the middle it just feels so odd like we see this on twitter every day like i don't need that in the comedy um I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's like you can comment it, but but like, yeah, I don't think you'll ever be successful at it. It is funny because they they kind of try to save it with one running joke where John Cena keeps talking about like you think Facebook's lying to me every day or like you know more than Google. Like everything's based off of stuff that he's read on the internet. So at least in that context, they mm-hmm. they kind of do like a broad stroke, I guess, with any joke or statement that he makes. Yeah, and I just I also hate to, which is I'm glad you brought that up. It's like, um. I hate when they're very on the pulse of what's happening now because it makes the show feel dated in like five years. You know what I mean? Like they're talking about my, you know, talking about Facebook. Like, is anyone going to be on Facebook in five, 10 years? It's going to be completely different. We're going to be in the fucking metaverse according to them. Right. So it's like when you don't mention the things that are happening now, I always feel like you can kind of make it timeless they don't really need to do those things. And that's where, I, again, the comedy that I was feeling that was just unnecessary was like getting into those specifics. I like that he was a conspiracy nut and like that you should have just leaned into that more. But to get into like, you know, him not being woke enough or almost too woke at certain points, like it just felt so all over the place that they were trying to comment on every single side of the argument. It just that's where it gets messy for me. Um, and like, p- point me into a direction where someone's doing that correctly. I've never seen it been done. And I I mean, it's a good attempt, but it just didn't work. So here's why I think it does work a little bit because he's all over the place because he doesn't know who he is. So he's like, I subscribe to my, the tenants, my, my father instilled in me, or do I try and like out of bio, like, you know, she's, she's my friend Like he considers her his friend. So he's like, she's comes from a different world. Like I now have to, no, I should be like her. No, I should be like him. I don't know what to do. So to mm-hmm. me, I always felt that like some of the jokes, the jokes don't land a lot of the times, but the reason the jokes are there is because he doesn't know what to do. And yeah, no, I, I, it so makes it sense logically. Yeah. But we're talking about if something's funny or not, if jokes it's are not, landing, it's not it, some of those didn't because no, they, they didn't. were trying to make it make sense. I don't, I don't know. I think we're, we're, we might be going to two in the weeds. It was weirdly like a way they were. I, I think some of the jokes definitely didn't land. But it was sort of James Gunn's weird attempt, I think, of like hiding your vegetables and like cheese or something like that, because it would be easy to make um, like, you know, take take the obvious 
horrific white supremacist Nazi character. And then he's also the Facebook conspiracy theorist, because if you're just painting people with a broad brush these days, those are the columns you fill. But he didn't do that. Like he was more like his dad was like watching the Alex Jones equivalent. Whereas, um, you know, Chris was trying to grapple with all of that stuff and he could dismiss his dad's like upside down flag, but he can't dismiss a rumor that Aquaman, you know, sleeps with the fishes and things. Well, We'll address that. Okay, that. I will say one joke that did, that did work pay for off me. in the end. Here's one that did pay off in the end for me in the realm of what I'm talking about is, and again, if they just lean to just this, I think the whole, I, you know, you wouldn't have needed it. It was more unnecessary. But this, what going to his conspiracy nut stuff and his dad and everything, he's talking about the deep state. He keeps bringing up the deep state. And then you get the payoff kind of joke when they're in the car and she's explaining what they're about to do. And he's like, that's the deep state. She's like, no, it's not the deep state. We're just doing this and this and this. Okay. It's sort of like the deep state. Like I, that, that worked for me. Like that was fun. And I think again, that's just gun being great at his job. And I just, it is his first series. So maybe it was just tough to write jokes throughout, but like, you know, that was one of those like a list kind of jokes. And then you can see where the B and C lists were, you know, sprinkled throughout. For sure. Let's talk about the man who told a lot of those jokes. And that's John Cena. Now, John Cena is it's a guy. John Cena. Listen, John Cena is someone I have been watching on TV for over 20 plus years. First time I ever saw him was on a TLC documentary about an independent uh, wrestling promotion based in California. The guy who discovered the ultimate warrior and the pro wrestler sting. He had another one. And there was this new young guy named John named the prototype who was coming in, it was John Cena. This is well before he was signed. And I remember seeing him, I'm like, that guy's a star. He's going to be a star. I was like not 18 or 19 when I saw him. I was like, that guy's a star. Since his days in WWE as one of their top box office draws, has gone on to star in, you know, he's been the supporting guy. And then he's slowly but surely come up to it where he's been, well, I mean, his first acting role was the Marine. And the bad guy in the Marine was Robert Patrick, who plays his dad. Um, yeah, so that's a nice little connection there. But, you know, after the WWE movies, he's in the kids' movies. But then this past year, bad guy, uh, Dom Toretto's brother, not a spoiler, it's in the trailer, and F9, which Al has seen 100,000 times already by now, um, roughly. Uh, have it on Blu-ray. And uh, <laughs> you have physical media still. That's great. Um, but... <laughs> We've seen John Cena blossom into being more of a leading man. So this is a two-part question for you guys. First, your overall opinion on John Cena in the Peacemaker role. And can John Cena attain or surpass the level of stardom that his fellow pro wrestler, who he headlined two WrestleManias against, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, currently has? So I'll let that marinate for a second. And Al... What about you? Was the your first thoughts, on his, your thoughts on his performance? Yeah, his performance was amazing. And can like, he change the heights yeah, of the rock? I got it. Now I got it. His performance was just incredible. I, you saw a little bit of the confliction in Suicide Squad in in the movie. Um, you know, in the in the end fight with him and Flag. You know, he was a a scene stealer in suicide squad. So it was kind of obvious that like putting a series around him, he was just going to, you know, 
roll with it. But I, you know, I was so surprised with the level of depth he put into the character, the serious stuff, um, the piano scene, the the when he's dancing by himself. Like those are just some incredible moments. Um, and then of course, just like the emotional stuff when he's talking to Adebayo or or um Harcourt, he just has these great moments uh throughout. So I was absolutely floored by his performance. And again, and one of the reasons why people uh, were more and more people were tuning in every week was just, you know, the word of mouth of how great Cena's performance was. Um, That being said, the rock isn't a human being anymore. He is like, like he's Maui. He's, he's Maui. I was going to say he's a demigod. demigod. He really, I mean, like he is, um, I think Cena can get to, his level. I mean, he's already been in a fast movie. He's already a superhero. Actually, I think he beat rock to being a superhero because black Adam is not officially out yet. So I think he's already at a huge level of stardom, but the rock is like Oprah at this point. He's kind of just like an existential being like he doesn't feel like he doesn't, he's not even real anymore to me. He's like slash like from the, the South park episode where, you know, slash is basically Santa Claus. When people talk, that's why Slash can be in a million places at once. Um, please watch that episode. It's great of South Park when South Park was good. Um, but yeah, I feel like The Rock is in a whole other level. Um, Cena can get to like, he's already kind of a, a star and like, he's a great comedic star. Like um, Ben mentioned Vacation Friends. I remember being blown away from his comedic performance in Blockers. So funny in that movie. The butt great chug- movie. The butt chugging sequence alone. The butt. Chug- <laughs> He's great in that, and like his that humor works, and like he can. I think if he just sticks with that, he will be fine. But I, I know there's more layers to him, and he's a very talented dude. So, um, well, I don't think anyone's going to get to the Rock's level. I don't know other people who are at the Rock's level um, of just like global recognition, recognition in every single facet of media and entertainment and drinks and football, anything. Football. He's fucking an, an, the XFL owner now. Like he just he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't feel real to me at this point. He's like a machine. But yeah, that's it. Uh, ben, what do you got? I, I mean, I'll, I'll echo what Al said just in terms of his performance. John Cena is Peacemaker is fantastic. Um, you know, he gets a chance to kind of flex more of the dramatic stuff here and there. You know, it's not as frequent as the comedy, which we've already seen him do, but he can show that he can lean into that stuff. And I think that'll you know serve him going forward with, with this show, but then moving into other projects too. But as far as, you know, the rock, it's nobody's going to catch the rocks filmography at this point, like outside of, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's already there, like guys like that, that have been doing it their entire lives. But John Cena would have to be in like a movie every like six weeks, maybe, you know, coming out or more. Uh, I don't think he wants to, though. I think he's smartly going to try to steer, you know, his own path. Uh, you know, The Rock is kind of he's done some stuff on the edge, but mostly stuck to like family friendly, you know, type environment stuff. Whereas John Cena is not afraid to go with the hard art comedies. And I think that's a smart move for him because it's a total departure from I don't know much about wrestling, but from what he was doing, I think with the wrestling piece of things, mostly. Very, very much a departure. Yeah. So uh, he smartly, you know, differentiated himself like most people do when you're known for something, you want to go polar opposite once you get a chance to break free. Uh, So I think he's fine with just creating his own path and being his own guy and getting more roles like this, but, you know, continue with the comedy. And then I think he's going to try to catapult from this into more of the, you know, the dramatic stuff when he can. Tyler. 
Uh, I, you know, I sort of mentioned before John Cena as peacemaker, he's what kept me coming back every week. Every word out of his mouth was hilarious. Seeing him do like weird dance scenes after sleeping with a woman is like so incredible. Um, he, so like as peacemaker, this is far and away his character. Um, and he's perfectly in his realm and I just want to see more of it. Um, as for whether or not he can surpass the rock in, in many ways, you know, some controversial opinion, in many ways, I'd say he already has. John Cena is sort of at a much earlier stage in his career than The Rock, despite being on the older side, uh, relative to Hollywood. Um, but, you know, you look at early The Rock movies, like his yeah. attempts at comedy and like the, what was it, The Tooth Fairy or something like that? Yes. He's fine. He's charming. But does he have like the capital T talent that we're seeing John Cena exhibit and like, blockers and vacation friends no the rock got very good over time he got good at comedy he got good at action but john cena just feels like he came out of the uh came out of the uh, plastic package wrap already good at this stuff so the question is can he get that x factor that oprah level Uh, i love that analogy al that the rock has and i don't think so but if we're talking about being like a leading man and having like a career of just top to bottom greatness. I think if he keeps putting in the work and keeps doing what he's doing and leaning into hard R comedy and things like that, I I really think we'll be talking about them on the same level uh, b- before we finish talking about Facebook. You you mentioned the dance sequence too. Like he got what two of those plus the intro plus he had like a whole piano solo thing too. Like this oh. was like let me showcase everything I can do right now. Oh, and, yeah. and the Motley Crue song nonetheless, man, it was yeah. so good. Um, so John Cena, to, uh, his performance was something I was actually very worried about because when I saw they were going more dramatic, I'm like, yeah, can he pull this off? Because John Cena is always his always like for his wrestling career, he was always naturally glib. He's very funny. He's he's like WWE has a lot of scripted promos, but he's really good at improv. And when he gets, he can get edgy. And he knows when to re- he could take a shit on someone real quick and. When he does, people are like, "Oh, why doesn't he do this more often?" That's really good. And John C is not afraid, was never afraid afraid to bleed either, which was pretty cool until they went totally PG for a while, and then he really embraced that. They there was the PG era where they really went were marketing towards kids, and he did like The Rock. He's done kids movies. He was in Surfs Up, and he was the he was the voice of Oscar nominated film Ferdinand. And he was in that weird movie about firefighters and kids that came out like, but he's never gone for the full dramatic, like the rock actually has with ballers where he went with the full drama. I do think he is going to get to that rock, like just below that. Cause if you also think about what John Cena does, tons of voiceover work, listen to a lot of commercials. He does a lot of voiceovers for commercials He's a spokesperson for a lot of stuff. He hosts that Wipeout show on on TBS. He's doing diversifying himself a lot. He doesn't have energy drinks and football teams and production studios yet. And I don't know if he ever will, but I think his they're seeing him as more of where they really pigeonhole the rock. You're going to be an action star. That didn't work. We'll make you a family kid star. Well, that didn't work. And they just kind of let him be the rock afterwards and they're like oh oh well he could do a whole bunch of stuff and i think that was what set him apart whereas from cena yeah he had a little bit of that early on but he just picked roles his whoever his agent was were like hey go be in sisters and be the guy who's safe where it is don't stop like 
that's hilarious. And so he has made a lot of really great career choices in terms of his non-family stuff. So I think he's going to get a notch below the rock, but I think John Cena will be a big star within the entertainment industry than even bigger than he is right now. Wasn't he also in Trainwreck? Yeah, he was. He's, he's good in Trainwreck too. He was based off, apparently based off a, a former boyfriend of Amy Schumer's who may or may not have been a pro wrestler. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, uh, allegedly. Uh, so, uh, so sorry, I just realized who that was. And I'm like, oh, never mind. Don't say the name. Um, outside of John Cena and Eagly, because we all get it. Eagly is amazing. He is, it is, it is like unfathomable how he is an R-rated baby Yoda, but never as on the level as our sweet baby boy. Uh, who was your favorite performance? I feel like everyone's going to have the same answer, maybe except for me. Uh, so Ben, I'm going to start with you first. Who was your favorite non-John Cena performance in this episode? A serious. No, serious. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah, wait, I almost don't want to say because I know the obvious answer is Vigilante. So I'll give you guys some time to think about your second favorite character, maybe if it wasn't going to be him. But yeah, I mean, as... As Al mentioned right off the top, like Freddie Stroma was just fantastic. Um, like whether he's wearing the mask or not, he was so good. Like I think people talked about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man was so good at like expressing emotion, like just with his body language and whatnot, to where you didn't need to see his mouth move. And I feel like he was kind of giving off some of that same energy, um, you know, as vigilante in this. But yeah, just the, the buddy comedy aspect that we kind of talked about, you know, between you know him and, and Peacemaker was was great. He had like the best lines where he would just completely derail a conversation with something entirely like unrelated or, or dumb that he like launched onto, um, you know, just one thing off the top of my head is like in John Cena's like big crying moment after he kills his father, like in the show. Uh, and he's like sitting there like bawling. He's like, this is a weird time to do your facial exercises, man. <laughs> it's, it's like, that's, he says the most inappropriate thing at the absolute wrong time, like every single time. And it's what makes him so good. He's, He's like this psychotic, like goofball man child, but he's like fiercely loyal to a fault. Uh, like he would do anything, you know, the Peacemaker needed him to do. And his, his character is great. And I'm glad there was multiple occasions during the show where I thought for a second, like, wow, do they just kill him off? Like, that's tragic. And then like he just bounces back like everything's fine. Like you got blown up. That's cool. Like you just got shot like you're fine. Like and he just jumps out a window and he's good to go again. So that character is great. Um, yeah, I'd watch him all day. I think one of the most impressive things where he does that, where he's at his funniest, but most like deadly and, and serious is when he goes into the prison and he confronts so the, the white dragon. Yeah, he's it was like, so badass. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about this. And you're sitting there, I'm like, this guy is like, it's ballsy, but he's also out of his mind. Like he like that was, he was almost frightening in that scene because you're like, oh, he's just going to get beat up. And I'm like, no, I think he's, um, that's your first reaction. Then you're like, no, he actually knows what he's doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and That's that fiercely loyal piece where it was like, they put it into his head. It was like, you need to help Peacemaker by killing his father. He's like, well, I'm going to go do this. And yeah, he, he kills that piece. And then when you were mentioning that, I thought you were for a second going to bring up the, the joke with the jar where they're trying to get him like tap once, tap twice. And, shit. He's like, <laughs> and he can't grasp the concept of like, it has to be yes or no. And then why are you trying to find out his favorite color? I was like, <laughs> I was, later on, he's like, we're unclear on his thoughts on teal. It's like, yeah, exactly. We'll bring back later. It's like, well, as far as like his favorite color, we have no idea. Like, it's like, man, it, it's so That's good. So the writing good. for that character was so good. Yeah. I would, um, love to, I would love to find out if half of his stuff was just improvised. 
and who knows he's going to be huge after this like oh yeah you get all the deals has to be oh it's funny because like he's basically he's basically deadpool like kind of he's he's deadpool who's not breaking the fourth wall right like he's he's a super deadly assassin who's like just like a bro who wants to crack jokes and shit like he's kind of like deadpool you know, obviously without a healing factor, he's just insane. He's just like, he's got a lot, a little bit of Deadpool in him. He might have the healing factor too. <laughs> Honestly, he might. And it's funny, you know what? I, I, not that he has a healing factor, but there are certain like characters or archetypes that are like, kind of like cockroaches. Like you, they can't be killed. Um, obviously uh, kind of spoiler alert, but um, if you've seen, don't look up Jonah Hill's character is 100% a cockroach. Um, I think it's you have to either be like the biggest asshole on the planet, the dumbest person on the planet, or the like the craziest person on the planet. Or he's you get all, the and you get the level three, yeah. and or or, or or all three, and that's what like can make you for me considered a cockroach. You can't die, and that I and it's almost like an ongoing joke. Like as as Ben said multiple times you're like oh man they're really gonna kill he got blown up by a grenade and like two seconds later you just see he's all like he's all like burnt up and he's just hiding like the guy can't die love it I also, um, shot I at love, the end he still takes out the guy who got yeah. him oh yeah i also we'll say, love the mermaid emoji he's just like i don't know why he loves it i don't know why he loves it it's just it's just like all encompassing it was like what it's perfect it's perfect i will say that my favorite performance outside of vigilante um, was it was robert patrick so good so good like it, you have to break.com of course you have to you're you're playing the the worst person in the world a like white supremacist neo-nazi who was the worst dad ever in a fake iron super, man <laughs> super racist to a degree that is almost comical. It is comical at sometimes when like his, his, like even his, his racism is dated, like the, like everything about Robert Patrick work. Cause he was giving 1000% um, throughout. And he just played like this ultimate, just truly ultimate asshole. Um, I, I mean, you could, there's so many great performances in this. I, I I'll let you guys um, say yours, but I, I just absolutely, uh, loved what he was doing, what he brought to that character. And as the series ended, it looks like he's going to be a part of him as almost like a force ghost for forever, um, which is great because he's um, much needed in the show. Tyler. Um, yeah. You know, same as ever. My, the correct answer is vigilante. But in the interest <laughs> of, uh, you know, offering, offering a, a little more to say about someone else. I want to give a shout out to uh, Economos. I really liked Really Steve ended Agee. up liking him. Steve Agee. He did a great job. It's I'm a big sucker for people who have like good character arcs. And I think, you know, I had I you had to look a little close, but he he really does have does one play. of the best arcs of the whole. The whole show is about people coming to terms with who they are. For Harcourt, that meant being a leader. For Adebayo, that meant, you know, being a badass, being braver than her mom. Uh, you know, obviously for Peacemaker, that meant coming to terms with being not his dad's son. For Economos, that meant like sort of just being comfortable with the fact that he f- he he found who he was. He all he was who he was all along. He goes back to Bell Reeve Prison and working for um, Waller in the end, but he does so having gone on this adventure um, 
and learned that like, you know, he can be accepted for who he is. He's got that photo that he looks at in the end where that always reminds him he found his people and his people are out there no matter the color of his beard. Um, and I just think that's like a really poetic, good arc. And it's very indicative of the whole show. And he also deserves a little bit of credit. You know, he took out judo master and a gorilla. So. Oh my, he, the gorilla scene. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't have made through without him. Yeah, he Argyle, he, he die hard straight, like Argyle, the uh, judo master guy oh, first. And then God. he gets the gorilla killed. He comes out with like an Uzi and takes out a bunch of racists. Like he, he gets a lot yeah. of good kills in there. He, oh, going I mean, back, I love how P- and I love how Vigilante was so pissed off that he's like, "I wanted to kill the guy with the chainsaw." And everyone <laughs> told him, "No." It felt personal that he killed that he killed someone with a chainsaw after I said I wanted to. Cool if you threw me the chainsaw and I'm like, "Good throw, bro!" And then I kill him. <laughs> he was the best. Like we could just stop right now and just say that he was the best. I I will say that because going back to the, how this podcast started was. Bill was super behind. I think I had, I think there was like the last two episodes left and he was just starting. Um, he started uh, very late. Yeah. And uh, all I see is I get a, I get a Facebook message in all captures. Gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Um, I think Economos, I, my favorite scene in the whole show is Economos is like one is where are you going? I'm putting this bag down here. Like I'm taking this bag in the barn and it's just like, okay. That's fine. Uh, but then when they're like, why is your beard not the right color? And what they were able to do, it made all the sense because it was like, they still had the, the butterflies still have the, the remnants of the pe- memories of these people. And he goes into this speech, which guts everyone right before the big action sequence. Like Peacemaker looks just devastated that he made fun of him. And you just hear what he has to say. It, it's brilliant, like that whole scene. And he act the way Steve Agee acts. It like you know he's uh, Steve Agee is a stand-up, correct? He he he. He might be. I'm not 100 percent sure. I, I only know him as uh, like Outdoor Dave from New Girl. <laughs> yeah. Either way, like no one was expecting him to bust out that dramatic performance that really puts a button on the whole uh, on Peacemaker's character arc too. It's just Chef's kiss. Mwah. It was perfect. For for me. It, there's so many people it's like hard not to like it's hard to leave someone out but for me outside of vigilante and peacemaker it's daniel brooks's leota Adebayo. i love how we took this character and we juxtaposed it to chris smith peacemaker where it's like they're both the children of the worst people imaginable but yet they don't want to be that person yet they want to do because they do love them they want to make them proud in some ways and yet they're still trying to find their way through the world. And she had this great role of just being a very essential character of like, she discovers everything about Mern. And we, so she's the, she's like a lot of plot goes through her. And so she uses that to be like kind of the, you know, the exposition funnel in a lot of ways, but also she's hilarious. Like when she goes to bribe that couple, it's, goddamn hilarious because she doesn't know what to do she does not to be intimidating or smooth or a secret agent she just has to do this how she doesn't know how to kill people like she p- pushes the gun at people to shoot them and then of course at the worst time when there's going to be a big reveal from judo master she shoots him you know and it's like but then at the end 
comes together. And I, one weak point in the show is I felt like they pulled away from her a little bit to focus more on Chris. I get that because he is the star, but she was as equal the star. And I, I liked that they did come full circle at the end. And I feel like she'll even be more of an important par- uh, character in season two. If she comes back, obviously we don't know who's coming back in season two, but her whole thing where she comes out against her mom, I think was huge. And I like the relationship with her and her wife. I mean, sometimes it was a little undercooked because they could have done a little bit more with it, but she was great. She held her own. She was hilarious. She was a straight man, straight woman. I should say a plot mover. Like she was like us at times, like discovering stuff. So, so much happening with this character that easily could have been two dimensional, a one dimensional. Um, So moving on. Uh, didn't work in this series where we've already mentioned like the, some of the humor. Is there anything that stood out to you guys were like, yeah, not my favorite thing. Um, Al real quick. What do you, what do you got for us? Um, I think, I think a bigger name for the villain would have been, I mean, I guess, I guess you can say that Robert Patrick would probably be the bigger name for that villain, but he was also kind of like more of like the, B-ish plot, right? So I would think, I just wish there was someone bigger, a foil, because we the, the butterflies would keep switching. There's the main butterfly going into other people, right? So um, I just, and literally ends up as kind of like a buddy slash pet to Chris at the end. So I have. So unfortunately uh, for us, um, Al is going to just take a brief time out. His computer died. So, you know, don't worry about that. He'll be back shortly. Um, so for me, what didn't work is what I'm going to uh, kind of pick up here is like, I thought the Autobio story at times was so strong. And then I felt like they really took the foot off the gas in order to really focus on Peacemaker. And I get that there's a lot you have to do with Peacemaker, but I just feel like maybe just a little bit more without a bio, I think would have just made that ending even more dramatic, even though, I mean, human torpedo. Holy shit. Was really good. And I, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent sold on the end that he let the one butterfly live, but he kills the cow. Like he, it's like, he wants to like, I don't, so I'm like a little, I'm a little not sold on the ending like where it's just like um the detective sophie i should remember sophie's my daughter's name uh you know uh i want to get her full name who i thought did a great job annie chang she played uh the detective sophie song i thought she was awesome throughout She's the really series good. especially her stuff with robert patrick was excellent especially when she burned him so many times just about being like this is his shit was ter- weak Trading like racist bars back and forth was like so good. And then the whole sequence where she's trying to like name as many white people as she can was, was fantastic. I also do enjoy, we'll get to our favorite part in a second, especially when John Cena's naming people is oh, yeah. amazing. But I just felt like that ending, and guys, you could disagree with me on this one. You feel free to jump at that ending. I don't like where the, she, but Sophie tells him everything he needs to know. We're like, we're going to save you guys. You guys are doomed to fail. Because you're going to be just like us with the environment, and war, and all this stuff. And he's like, wow, everything sounds great. Human torpedo, kill the cow, shoot you, shoot you, but I'm going to let you live. I'm like, yeah, something about that doesn't sit right with well, me. 
You mean let, me the, be... let the butterfly Groff yeah. like live? Yeah. Because Groff is gonna. I, I thought it was just kind of like a. It was like a mercy thing because like there's no point killing because the cow is dead, so it's gonna run out of food source, so it was gonna die eventually anyway. So it was kind of just like it's a sad moment. It's like this is the last of the stuff that you can drink to stay alive. Like you could chill here if you want to. That I don't think it was like a, a risk to anyone anymore. I think it had kind of just accepted its fate. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was very indicative of a peacemaker sort of larger arc. You know, he he hesitated to kill people at one point and then mentioned, you know, I'm fine with killing butterflies and all that, but uh, I'm not sure this is who I want to be anymore. And then as the series progresses, you find out that's because he made a vow for peace as a reaction to what happened with his brother. Um, And his whole arc on this adventure is like, you don't have to be that vow. Your vow for peace is coming from nefarious intent. So when the butterflies offer him everything that he would be able to live up to, or offer him the ability to live up to that vow, he rejects it. And he also rejects just killing the butterfly for good measure. He, he eliminated the threat mission complete. And, you know, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to kill anything. He doesn't want to, or have to anymore. And I think that was kind of a good button to put on the end of all this. But that said, I'll admit that's, that's complicated. I had, I had to really sit and like, like ponder that for a while. It wasn't something that I think was like, right in front of your face the way it maybe needed to be the way you explained it makes me enjoy that ending a lot more al <laughs> uh al's returned uh we basically were talking about i was saying the two things i was a little i didn't that didn't work for me was i felt they uh took the foot off the gas a little bit without a bio with her story uh did pick it up back towards the end and i think season two she'll be more uh prevalent here and i was a little um i was a little conflicted about the finale where he was just like he seems to buy everything from Sophie's song about peace and then censor in as the human torpedo, but doesn't kill. What's the, what's the butterfly Goff. It doesn't kill him and just lets him live. I was like, I don't get that. And Tyler did a great job of explaining the whole thing to me. Did that ending work for you? Yeah. I mean, I think people, I mean, we have to remember that this is a TV series, right? Like this isn't a feature film. Like the, oh, yeah. The budget, right? Like, I think it was just crazy that they were able to have that cool CGI kaiju. Um, the cool or in there. horrifying? Oh, horrifying. But, like, it was great. Like, I mean, some uh, I saw someone talking about Peacemaker, and they're like, it's like Slither and Super had a baby. Like, that's Peacemaker. It's like two of the James Gunn, like, with a budget. Like, two, you know, pre-fame James Gunn movies combined with a budget. Um, and I think it's super accurate. Like it was, it was really fun. I think you could see the limitations. Like I think the the monster would have been more of a threat. I think we would have saw a little more from it potentially, or maybe more of like a, a cool fight with the butterflies, but we, we got more of a human kind of fight and it was sick. It was a cool battle, but it just, I think that's where maybe kind of left a little bit to be desired, except, you know, when they have the justice league cameo, Uh, which I'm sure we'll get to probably next, but I thought that was really well executed. Uh, I I, I, I can agree with Adebayo. Like, I think if they put more of an effort into splitting the story more, it definitely was. It is the show. The show is called Peacemaker, Mm -hmm. but they really try to give a full eight episode arc for Adebayo as opposed to the other characters in it. Like, obviously we lose Mern earlier. And, um, you know, a lot of the other characters don't start like really hitting into high gear 
um, story-wise until later in the show, but Adebayo is there from the get. And yeah, if you kind of drop her off in, in a little bit, like I would like to have seen more with uh, her wife. Um, yeah. I think that would have been more interesting. Um, maybe something left on the cutting room floor of just like a little more time between them or conflict maybe. Um, but she was so good. Like I absolutely adored um, her character and her reasoning. I mean, again, we're talking about like good payoffs jokes. Like when she talks to her wife and she explains, I have to stick with this. And she's like, why I saw an Eagle hug a human. And she's like, okay. She's like, I get it. Like go, I kind of get it. Like go do it. And then she, then she says the same thing to Harcourt. And she's like, what if that was a sign for you not to do this? And she's like, fuck. I was like, that's, that's great. Like, I love that. Um, I thought, I, yeah, I thought she was great. And uh, I kind of agree, Bill, but at the same time, now, now come to think about it, we got a good story from her. Okay. Was there anything else that maybe didn't work for you? Uh, I would have liked more Judo Master. That didn't work for me. Having him pop up in the end was just, is like the equivalent of having a, a random Jason Momoa cameo. It's just like, you, you made me fall in love with this like tiny, deadly man who loves flaming hot Cheetos. Like, like give me more of him and just have him like there and pissed off. Like, you know, they explain that they told the plan to judo master and he was all about it, but you could see why he's a very isolated, very lonely character. And it makes sense. Um, but I would, would have liked to have seen some more. Um, something that really worked for me though, was the, um, uh, what you guys just called it. Like when, when Adebayo came in with the, the, the helmet what was it called the human torpedo the human torpedo that was fucking amazing <laughs> it was such a good it's such a good way to have her like help at the end um <laughs> after failing spectacularly after failing terribly order not to do that <laughs> i, I, I was a little disappointed they didn't have the scabies helmet come into play i um, love that he literally didn't care but at the same time probably cared a little that he could have killed her by doing that. Yeah. And he's just like, human torpedo. It's just like fucking insane. Uh, ben, uh, what didn't work for you in this? Well, I was going to go to Al's point. I, as far as the, uh, the judo master, like I like that the second time, like he breaks out the next time we see him, he's just like sitting outside of a convenience store. Cause he had to go buy more flaming hot Cheetos. Like that's all they really cares about. So that was a great you know way to show him again. Um, as great as like it, I would mention, uh, Robert Patrick is the only thing I would say that maybe doesn't work for me is like, that's the one piece of like the whole story that you could pretty much eliminate from the first season and still have basically the whole series still work. It was kind of like, he was a, like you mentioned, like a B villain. And I feel like his only reason for being a part of it really was to give uh, peacemaker kind of a redemption arc. Cause we need to show you how shitty his upbringing was and like all the stuff that he went through. So we're going to personify that through, you know, his father figure, like in this first season, I thought that if they wanted to run more with that, they didn't necessarily have to you know, kill him off. Like we said, we still see him as like a, a ghost vision or whatever, but uh, they could have maybe held him for, you know, season two to become more of like a main villain piece of it. Um, but I, just because you could remove it and still basically have the same show and not really lose much. I, I thought maybe that was the weakest point of it. I mean, there's still, you know, the butterflies when they showed the map, like they're all over the entire country and they're all over the entire world. So I don't know how they have just one cow. There has to be like a cow in like every continent maybe, right, to support them at some point. So I don't know if they run with this for, for season two or what, but you still, if you don't do that, you needed a main villain for season two. 
And so I would have, you know, stuck him around for that. Uh, Tyler, that didn't work for you. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is something that didn't work or just something that was sort of disappointing to me, but the, I loved the sequence. It was very slither when all of the butterflies just go into the police station and everyone oh. gets taken over. You you do it. It like really sets the stage and you're thinking like we're on, we're in like full scale invasion mode. The fact that it is the police is going to come into play. Like it's the detective, it's her partner. And they do that like incredibly creepy walk where they're all attempting to smile in their new bodies. That was great. I really liked that. But then ultimately they just ended up being cannon fodder for that amazing fight scene set to the opening uh, uh, song. So like them taking over the police station, it could have been like just the people inside of a Walmart or a restaurant or something like that. They ultimately ended up just being cannon fodder as opposed to it being significant that a lot of cool characters um, like the detective, like her partner, like the weird assassin guy who like was attempting to, who executed those two in the woods and things like that. We ended up just losing cool characters as opposed to getting any utility out of them now being butterflies. So I was a little disappointed with that. I can see that. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that, especially, you know, they were trained, you know, with guns and you did have all the criminals go with them as well. Um, but let's, 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 let's get on a little happier note. Uh, we got just two, three more segments here, real quick ones. Uh, what was your favorite part? This might be the hardest question. What was your favorite part of the show, whether it's a scene, whether it's a performance, whether, what was the best thing about this show that you could just, you know what, I'm just going to go back to this. This is great. You know, what What did you love the most? Um, Tyler, I'm going to go right back to you. Uh, I, th- I think I got to go, because this just really cracked me and my fiance up when we were watching it, was... After Vigilante is is tortured and Peacemaker doesn't do a lot to help his situation, <laughs> when they're in the car the next day and he's like, I just want to thank you for inspiring me to be the better version. The way uh, the actor, what was it, Freddie Stroma? Yeah. The, the, way he's, the way he's playing, like boiling with rage under the surface is so funny. He like takes an extra beat just to really like mean mug John's, uh, uh, Peacemaker for a moment after that. It was just some really like subtle, hilarious acting and uh, something about that scene just really gets me every time. But, you know, I could sit here under a bare light bulb talking about things uh, Vigilante did that made me laugh until I starved to death. But it's it's he's just great. And that one in particular really got me. Uh, Al. Al, yeah, you you're on mute, pal. Everything Vigilante did, you can go to the next person. <laughs> um, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go next. It's the whole warehouse sequ- uh, scene. That's my favorite part. I love that so much. Even though the final battle is so cool, it's just we first see them. It's the perfect blend of comedy, horror, and action. And it's very stunning when they walk in. He immediately takes the head off of the old lady because he has the x-ray goggles. Uh, and then you know, we get everyone involved, and of course, it ends with the chainsaw and the gorilla, which you weren't expecting. And then, of course, vigilante being petty about it, being like, it would have been way cooler if you threw it to me. Everything about that, like, perfectly, if you're going to crystallize this show into one scene of just like, what's the best thing about this show? It's that scene. Mm-hmm. That to me is it's the it's the best part for sure. Real, real quick. Quick question for um, quick question for Tyler. 
Um, forget his name. No, I'm just I'm like falling asleep. <laughs> Tyler, when they mentioned the gorilla, and we knew that that was going to be some sort of payoff because they they mentioned it earlier. Like one was like stolen or escaped or something on the news. I don't know if anyone caught that, but me. But oh, yeah, even absolutely. so, when you see the gorilla, did a part of you think that was going to be Gorilla Grodd? I I did. Okay. Yes, I mean they they made it talk and everything. If it wasn't exactly Gorilla Grodd, it was. I feel like they were trying to do some kind of wink, and I did appreciate. Once you like, it wasn't until the chainsaw like went through its chest that I was like, oh no, it's just a different talking gorilla. <laughs> oh, wait, one thing I did love that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, James Gunn being James Gunn made Batmite DCEU canon, <laughs> which is insane to think about. And the way that Cena describes him, uh, or uh, Chris is he is a, a, a little like imp that stands Batman. Like it's the perfect, I, I, I'm ripping this right from Kevin Smith because he was talking to Gunn in an interview, but like, it's true. Like, that's a great definition of what Batmite is. He's like this interdimensional being that stands Batman and he's obsessed with him. Fucking Batmite, please put him in season two in some way. That would be amazing. You made him real. Bring him in. Ben. Uh, well, everything with Vigilante, but uh, something that encompasses that a couple of things like when he's hiding behind the dumpster, like when you can see that he's there, like obviously, and then he's like, I'm just standing behind a dumpster. This is a normal thing to do. And then he's later like hiding behind a bush, but he's talking. She's like, what is, what are you trying to accomplish here? Like, we clearly know you're there. You're t- what are you just a talking bush? And then he's, he's like standing outside the jail or whatever. And like, he's trying to, you know, not give away the fact that he's vigilante, but you sound exactly like him. And then he's changes his voice. Like immediately. It's like, what are you doing? He's just, yeah, he's ridiculously funny. Like everything Constantly he does, he's changing amazing. his face once he's unmasked, so that oh, he yeah. can be recognized. <laughs> he's just just making crazy faces. <laughs> I, I forgot about just just one of the best random characters I can think of. Yeah, just he's, one he's like Rafi, right? He's like Rafi from yes. the league. Yeah, when he fights Judo Master, it also really made me laugh the way he just tries to surrender mid fight. Like, all right, you win, fair fight. No, fair fight. We're done. <laughs> You know what sucks? I, I just have to say, this is not a bad part, but I feel like we are just like, we haven't mentioned Jennifer Holland enough as Harcourt, and she's amazing. I love like, her. Yeah. She's, she's great. so great in this. And it's just like, but there's like, it's just, she she has to play the straight woman. She's the straight man, yeah. And and she does such a great job with it. And But I mean, again, if she doesn't sell it as serious as she does, like, we don't, this show doesn't work. And Actually, one of my favorite parts is the fact that she takes the picture of the of all of them and makes and and she's supposed to be the one who doesn't you know she's she's a hard ass she doesn't have connections she's got to be you know focused on the job and she makes a text thread called Eleven Street Kids and sends it to everyone and I was like this is the nicest scene like this is such a sweet genuine real moment and. No other care. I don't think it would have worked coming from any other character. Like if it had come from uh, Adebayo or Mern or uh, Economos, it wouldn't have worked. Or even Peacemaker, it would have, you know, it wouldn't have worked. But coming from her, it like really solidified the emotional core of the of the series. It was it was perfect when they had to like say who the next leader was going to be after Mern died, and then you know, of course, the Economos is like me. They're like fuck no, but then like they all look at her. 
And, uh, you know, that that's a great moment for her. And yeah, she was obviously the person that, you know, needed to be the one to lead that group. But yeah, I, I loved her in everything. So and the vets and the veterinarians wanted to go with them to, to battle. <laughs> She's like cocking the gun. She's yeah. like, no, you're just going to die. Yeah. It was such a great moment. But I think before we get to our overall thoughts, we have to talk about the cameo. It It, it is just bonkers the Bobcat. I cannot believe, like, so there is a throw. It's what is seemingly a throwaway line. And guys, remind me, was it Adebayo who called it in, said, "Get the Justice League here to Amanda Waller," yeah. and it's like, yeah. yeah, whatever. So I'm just like, oh yeah, that's a throwaway line. And there, after everything's over, there they are, all cast in shadows, until Peacemaker starts chewing out Aquaman, and we see that it's actually Jason Momoa as Aquaman and Ezra Miller as the Flash. Um, guys, quick reaction. What was your thoughts that, that we, what we had just seen during that? Did they, were you expecting that or was this a complete, you know, blow your pants right off type of uh, surprise? Um, Tyler, start with you. Uh, it surprised me. I a complete surprise. It, when I saw it, when it happened, I was like giggling for like five minutes after not laughing, giggling. I was so tickled by it. Um, and I also like, I really appreciate the the nuts and bolts of having to address the fact that as much as I love Marvel, they're not super great at this. Like every standalone movie is an Avengers level like threat. And this it's like, it's a, it's a worldwide alien invasion and they know how to stop it by killing one thing. Like, yeah, call the justice league. And the fact, the idea that like that happens, but they're just late. is just like, that's so funny to me. So I, yeah, I just, that all worked for me and it was a total surprise. I was really into it. I was very happy that I could have seen, like, I'm like Momoa, like when he was there, I'm like, I totally get that. Yeah, he's into this. And they they pay off the first joke with so many people burned it for. It was like, really? It's the the Aquaman fucks fish joke. And, and they bring it up. But what paid it off for me, it was that Barry Allen was there saying, yes, you do. And then he was like, fuck you Barry <laughs> like you know and I'm like perfect that's what sold it for me like I, I I loved it I didn't think they'd go there but like they did and they paid off the joke with the the travel agent slash photographer that uh from uh, Schitt's Creek from the beginning oh uh, that's a whole other scene where he's in the the, the classroom oh god oh, that's so great such a great opening of this oh, so uh Ben your thoughts on the the cameo real quick uh I mean what's Obviously, it was out of left field to like see them show up, actually. But then when it was shadows, I figured it would just be that. Maybe he'd make his comment and walk past. But then you come back and you actually show their faces. And it's like, wow, that's really cool that they were, you know, they agreed to do those cameos, uh, you know, just for that. But, I mean, it, it plays into they made so many jokes about so many different like superheroes and DC people like throughout. And they, they dropped Gotham. They dropped like all kinds of stuff from DC. And to actually see one come to fruition and have them show up was fantastic. That's right. Adebayo says she's from Gotham. Like, let's go back to Gotham was like the line from the, her wife. Yeah. Uh, Al, I know this had to this had to floor you, my friend. It definitely did because, I, you know. Pants, right. Blown away, right? Pants, pants definitely blown away just because like. I, I For people think, who don't know, that's how Al and I talk. He'll, yeah, he'll just be, be how many pants did you go through during something? Is and nothing, nothing the, the unit of measurement. It's like they literally evaporate. They just yeah, yeah. pants just explode. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty dumb. Um, the terms that we use over yep. Facebook Messenger, but regardless, um, I was I was 
definitely surprised, right? Because it doesn't seem for for a lot of reasons, DC and Warner kind of know what they're doing. And not to say that they're doing bad things. It's just, they don't seem like they have like a grand plan. Whereas Marvel's like, they've already thought like 20 years in the future. Um, So it just seems like they're kind of like flying off the, the seat of their pants or whatever. And I feel like now seeing this, they are getting into more of a groove of like, we kind of know what we have now. We're a little bit of everything and we're going to be the family friendly movie and we're going to be the, the summer blockbuster and we're going to go R rated on our platform. Like we're going to try to do what Disney is doing across the movies and television and kind of make it feel interconnected in some way, not like necessary to the plot, but acknowledgement that the things that you are watching are somehow connected or related. So I'm a big fan of that. And, you know, it's funny. Um, you see Superman, the Henry Cavill-esque Superman there, and you see a Wonder Woman there. Uh, Henry Cavill could could not appear because he had no idea that um, Netflix had the exclusive rights to him on streaming. So he literally could not show his face. Wow. Oh. For and it's for another two years, I guess, until he has to do another contract about The Witcher. But it was part of the contract that his lawyers did not see, so he could not physically appear in the show. Not to not that he didn't want to be Superman again. He literally couldn't. Um, don't know Wonder Woman's deal, but obviously they are currently filming um, Aquaman two, or have wrapped up filming. So they, during this time, this year, when, yeah, yeah. when they were doing up, Peacemaker. They were in production in both the Flash um, and Aquaman, so it made sense that both of them had speaking roles. They were probably on set with a green screen, and it just worked out uh, perfectly. So it made sense. It was fun. It was a nice payoff to a lot of jokes. I was very surprised that he was able to do it. But at the same time, at the same time, Gunn is now like a central figure in whatever DC is going to be doing in the near future and marvel and like <laughs> and marvel i mean he's he's a, a man of two worlds like he literally can do whatever he wants i don't think there'd be any people saying no um to him for future dc projects because they're going to want to keep him around he's doing such great work for them well this was renewed he had such great work it was renewed for a second season so guys we're going to wrap up the pod with um what do we want to see in season two? Whether you want to see uh, heroes or villains from the DC ex- extended cinematic metaverse, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, it's uh, or do you want to see, or is there certain characters you want to see more of? Like uh, I don't. I mean, we all want to see more vigilante. Don't get me. Don't, we that's a given. Uh, but, um, Al, go since you just finished. We'll go back to you first. What do you want to see in season two? I want to see James Gunn get to be full James Gunn. Not that he wasn't in here, but like, I want him to be able to do whatever he wants. Get into the weird, get into the weird crevices of the DCU, go somewhere different, go somewhere unique and fun somewhere else in the country um, that hasn't been explored yet. Justice League. Um, Okay, here we go. Dude, anything like do something crazy. Like, I think this would be a good opportunity. I know we've tried to reboot this like 30 times already, but like if, Anyone can do it. I feel like James Gunn can put Swamp Thing on 
you know, back into the, the DCU. I know we were supposed That's to be like perfect that. for him. It is like, it works. Like it's, it's very trauma esque. It's very, you know, um, you know, it's definitely in his wheelhouse to just get to like the weird and gross and like crazy do man thing. If you really don't want to do swamp thing, like, I'm sorry, that's Marvel do swamp thing <laughs> um, or do just something fun and crazy. Uh, bring in more just like obscure DC characters. Like I mentioned Batmite um, and they had a, what is it? Um, another one that Chris mentions too, who, who ate a Wendy's. What was, uh, was Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he was making the joke with like Mern, and like he's like, "Wait, he ate the restaurant." He's like, "You seem oddly focused on this." I can't remember what the character was. I'm gonna pull it up in a second, but um, yeah, that's 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 why I just want to see just him go just bananas. Uh, for me, there are opportunities to bring in some Suicide Squad characters. If you could retcon, oh, I would love this. If you could somehow retcon Polka Dot Man's death and have Polka Dot Man. Just imagine Polka Dot Man, Peacemaker, and Vigilante, and then everyone else in the crew just being annoyed by them, even for an episode, to me, would be perfect. Um, and bring David Dalmashian back to in that role. He he was phenomenal. King Shark is still out there. I mean Weasel's I still out there. TDK is still out there. Those well, are they're still ever, alive. Don't ever tease me with more TDK. But I mean, I definitely was thinking that too, but I was like, oh, I can't say that. But uh, Matter Shark, Eater Lad, by the way. Yeah. That was his name. Yeah. Super I, obscure. I, I do think you could get I don't know if King Shark would be too much. Uh, because it it that is a well, yeah, it's money, but it's also like I just don't know if it'd be too much adding to the show if he was like a full-time or even one-off, like because he's such like a big show stealing character but i could see someone like weasel or tdk or someone who's still alive or um bringing them back definitely a little more out of bio and i just just give me like ben was saying just give me the hangout of them as the team because it just really works together and i don't want them to rush it unless james gunn already wrote a season two i don't don't want to the rush job of the second season because this is too good to ruin in my opinion, um, Ben, uh, what would what would you want to see in a season two? Well, I mean, like I'm alluded to earlier, the uh, you know the butterflies were supposed to be international, so I'd love to see them take it you know outside of you know small town USA and go somewhere international and fight these things like on a larger scale. Uh, you know, get them in a different country uh, and more more eagerly um, in, in a different environment. Like I, I just want to see them kind of continue the same. The same storyline, not like drop it for an entirely new threat. I think it would be cool to kind of keep going with this, uh, just put in, in a different space. Tyler, take us home. Uh, I, I'm, unfortunately, I'm the opposite. I really want to see them. I feel like every movie or TV show gets one miracle. I want something to happen. New threat that gets this exact team back together. Don't drag your feet getting there. I just want to see the gang back together for whatever reason taking on something new, challenging themselves with something new. I think international is also a, always a great way to just raise the stakes, show that we're, time has passed and we're in a new new setting and things like that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's just don't drag your feet getting this team together. I don't need a ton of explanation why we're getting the band back together. Get them back together and let's just have the fun we had with these past eight episodes. 
could totally see them opening up the first episode of the next season with like, bam, kill one. And it's like, well, that was the last one of those butterflies. Like, let's move on to the. <laughs> then you yeah. drop the dancing intro again and then go. I, I want oh, yeah, to dance intro, another dance intro, same song, new characters, new dance. Yeah. That's all I want. That would be even better if it was just like we wrapped up everything on season one. Then it's the dancing, which is like, who are any of these people? And it's just like, I'm like, perfect. Um, but guys, that does wrap up uh, our Peacemaker podcast. Guys, thank you all for being on there. Al, thank you for going through multiple devices to be on this podcast. Uh, let's let it has uh, let's plug all our socials and where people could find us on the internet, all our work. Ben, start us off. Um, I'm at BD Murkison on Twitter and Instagram. I'm about to be MIA for about two weeks going out to Arizona to do a bunch of hiking. Um, but when I get back, I think uh, I was asked to join one of the uh, Oscars rewinds. Uh, so I'm going to talk about 1994 in the future on that podcast. Nice. I'm excited to do that. That is, and the winner still is, hosted by Matt Taylor and Bruce Carpico. Yeah. Like years ago, I said, like, well, if you ever do one about 94, I want to talk about, you know, Tombstone and how Val Kilmer deserves something for his portrayal of Doc Holliday. So I uh, want to do that. Um, and then, yeah, by the time I come back on, uh, Peaky Blinders will probably have dropped. So I'll be uh, writing about that quite a bit. Yes, you will, sir. Al, you went to a thing called a concert not long ago. You were back. Tell us all about it. Tell us everything you're doing. I'm back, guys. Back. Um, you can find me at Al Manorino on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, photos will be on Instagram and on the popbreak.com. I shot Casey Musgraves, King Princess, and Muna at the Wells Fargo Center. I believe that was last almost two months ago now in January. But uh, put in some requests for some pretty exciting stuff. Hope hope to have some more information soon. But, uh, you know, as, as, the, as the weather gets warmer, we're going to get some more concerts. And that means more content on thepopbreak.com. Tyler, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at Tyler McCarthy. I locked it down early. Um, if two you're verifies on this podcast. I didn't realize. Two blue check marks here, Al and Tyler. Blue check mark. Right. Through. Uh, right. Yeah, if you're another Tyler McCarthy out there, it's mine. You can't have it. Uh, and I'm with uh, working with NBC right now. Really excited about it. So be on the lookout on my Twitter for some cool stuff coming in the future. Awesome. So Amazing. Very congratulations on that. Well-deserved, my friend. Uh, as for me, I'm at Bodkin Writes on Twitter, W-R-I-T-E-S. Uh, personally, uh, after this podcast, and while I let this uh, download like a uh, MP3 from Morpheus or Kazaa, I will be watching the revival of Law and & Order, and I will be writing about it for thepopbreak.com. Uh, I've got a ton of podcasts. Uh, this, uh, obviously, outside of Socially Distanced. This Saturday, the second episode of Bill versus the MCU will drop myself and Alex Marcus, our podcast editor. He is making me rewatch the MCU, which I have famously not finished. Uh, this past episode, we talked about the original Thor. We talked about Captain America, the first Avenger a lot. And we talked about Marvel's The Avengers. Uh, episode three, Al's going to be excited. I'm finally going to watch Iron Man 3. I'm going to watch rewatch one of my favorite Marvel films, Fal uh, not Fal uh, Captain America, uh, The Winter Soldier. And Christ Almighty, I have to watch Thor the Dark World. Um, I will also be making, there was a hype video for this on Thursday. I'll be live on the Bob Culture Podcast 
uh, along with, you know, senior editor on Pop Break, Rob Crother, who is the Bob and the Bob Culture podcast, Pop Break contributor, Kimmy Sokol, Amanda Rivas, who you've heard on this podcast numerous times recently, and a few other people talking about uh, predictions for All Elite Wrestling's new pay-per-view revolution. Uh, that'll be live on Facebook and YouTube on their Bob Culture podcast. And then in the beginning of March, I will be talking on the Pop Break TV uh, no, sorry, the TV break, which is on the Pop Break TV hub, uh, where Alex Marcus, Josh Sarnecki, and I will be talking about the new uh, Apple TV Plus series, Severance, starring Adam Scott, directed by Ben Stiller, shot a lot in Homedale, New Jersey. Um, if you're going to follow the popbreak.com, we got a lot of cool stuff. Check out our photos of Bowling for Soup Acoustic in Asbury Park and Tool at the Wells Fargo Center and Casey Musgraves at the Wells Fargo Center. If you must follow us on Twitter, we are at the Pop Break, at the Pop Break on Instagram thepopbreak.com every single day thank you so much for uh checking this episode out rate review subscribe give us a like share it with your friends and uh we'll be back next week we'll be talking about the rock and roll hall and hall of fame nominations <laughs>